Hey guys, good morning. This is Ark of Hope Baptist. Um, this is not your regular speaker, as you've probably already guessed by the country twang. Um, but my name is Matthew Bearden, and I'm happy to be delivering the message this morning. We're going to be jumping around to a lot of verses today, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 25. That's where we're going to begin. It's going to be at uh, verse 9. Yep, Exodus 25, 9. So today we're going to be jumping into typology and talking about how Jesus is pictured in the tabernacle. All right, so the tabernacle, as we know, it simply, literally all tabernacle means genuinely is just a portable moving place. It's a portable sanctuary, if you will. And so today we're going to be talking about typology. And what do I mean by typology? Uh, when Typically when we study the Bible, we call it types, anti-types, shadows, foreshadowing, whatever you would like to call it in that sense. But things, people, places, events that foreshadow something that's greater to come, typically we study this when we're studying about Jesus. All right, And Paul's actually the one that helped instrument this into our way of thinking. He's the one that first said that Adam was a type of Christ. Okay, So Jesus is the perfected Adam, essentially, when we read that. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus in the tabernacle, and I think it's very fascinating because oftentimes when I think about the tabernacle, I don't know about you, I don't really think about Jesus um, being in the tabernacle. But we're going to talk about some things there. Now, one thing to make clear is that the tabernacle is not the temple, um, but it's this portable and temporary, it's important to remember that, it's portable and temporary tent that the Jews had from, time, from the time of Moses until the reign of Solomon. That's a long amount of time. They had it from the time of Moses until the reign of Solomon. This is found throughout the, the book of Exodus through chapters 25 all the way to chapter 40. So if you've got time to read that right quick. Um, but we're going to be uh, starting there in chapter 25. But there's whole 16 chapters of this talking about the setting up of the, the tabernacle and how it's moved from place to place. So let's just get an overview of this. Um, I do want to start off by saying I admit that some of this is conjecture, as is a lot of things when we read typology or study typology. The truth is, is that typology, um, it probably goes deeper than what I am even capable of understanding. Um, as far as what, where we see Christ in the Old Testament. Um, but I do admit some of this is conjecture. Obviously, I don't know if all of this is uh, completely, uh, I'll put it like this. I think maybe, or uh, maybe, but as long as we start with the New Testament theological truths and look to see those things pictured in the Old Testament, there is no new theology being preached here. There is nothing... Uh, new being preached is what I'm trying to say. This is simply just a fun and interesting way to look into the Old Testament and see where our Savior is. But there is a right and wrong way to do all this. All that out of the way, the first thing upon studying the tabernacle is it was designed by God and not by man. The temple was patterned after the tabernacle, but we see Solomon changes a lot of things an example of this is that the lampstand, there was only one lampstand in the tabernacle, but Solomon made seven. He said there needs to be seven lampstands in the temple. 
All right. Um, that's just an example. Now, you could say that he was just trying to elevate it to the next level, if you will. But as far as the tabernacle that we see the Jews with, it was just one lampstand. That's just an example. The tabernacle was to God's specific instructions. So that's what we're going to start today. Uh, Exodus 25, 9. I'm actually going to start at verse 8. All right. It says this, Exodus 25, verse 8. We're going to read through 9. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So what we see here is that God is the one that instructs how the tabernacle is to be made. Uh, very specific instructions. It really mattered to God how it was made. Exodus has 16 chapters that follow a pattern of make it like this, make it like that, and they made it so. All right. It goes through a lot of trouble in these 16 chapters from uh, chapter 25 all the way to 40 All right, to show us that God wants it done in a certain way. All right. So they said, make it. He said, make it like this. And they made it. So it goes through a lot of trouble to do that. <clears throat> and this is how he wanted his tabernacle to be built. Because of this, we can kind of see what it looks like. All right. So, I've got these wonderful illustrations. Jill, would you mind passing this around? Let everybody look at it, please. Thank you. I don't have any fancy slideshows, but if you will look at that, this is an example of what the tabernacle would have looked like, at least as best as we can understand it. And I think it's interesting, this morning, uh, Isabel asked me what that was, and I said, what do you think it is? She said, it looks like the temple. I said, well, that's interesting. It's patterned. The temple is patterned after the tabernacle. So, I know, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, that's a good answer. Uh, but anyway, but he, he made, left very specific instructions as to what it's going to look like. It was 150 feet by 75 feet. Furniture was on the outside. There was a bronze offering altar and a wash basin. Tents and skins. It was made out of tents and skins. Stuff easy to pick up. That was the thing with the tabernacle. It needed to be easy to transport. They were constantly moving. Yeah, absolutely. It needed to be portable. It was easy to pick up and move. 500 years later, it shows us what Solomon did to the temple. Only priests can be within the walls, and only the uh, Aaronic priests could go within the tabernacle proper, as we call it, the within portion, if you will. They offer animals. <clears throat> They had the Day of Atonement. They celebrated Passover. All this happens here at the tabernacle. I thought this was fascinating. The tabernacle also sits within the middle of all the tribes. At all points when they moved, it had to sit between all the tribes in the middle, square in the middle of it. All right, and that's fascinating to me. The tribes would encamp around the tabernacle, and inside the tabernacle itself, as you see in that picture, is two sections. There's the holy place, and there's the holy of holies. You see, there's this outside wall, and then there's the holy of holies, okay? And it was separated by a thick veil, all right? Inside the holy of holies, there was only uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Outside of the holy of holies, we have three pieces of furniture. But let's ask the question, why is God so concerned with what it looks like? 
without Jesus, we may just say, oh, he's God. He, what he says, it don't really matter. You know, he, he just says it's to be so. And there, that's the correct answer. You're not wrong in saying that. But all scripture, <clears throat> if you ask me, all scripture points to Christ. It is an amazing type of Christ, in my opinion. The New Testament gives good reason, in my opinion, to look for this. In John chapter 2, Jesus visits the temple. He is overturning money changers and, and money changers tables, I should say. He is upset at what is happening at the temple. All right. Now, keep in mind that the temple is the permanent, permanent replacement for the tabernacle. All right. What authority... What did you, what did they ask Jesus when he was doing this? They said, what authority do you have to do this? John chapter 2. <clears throat> let me read there right quick. I got a strange setup today, so give me just a moment. It's going to be a John chapter 2. This is John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. All right. It says here, <clears throat> they said, what authority do you have? Uh, what, uh, excuse me, I'm going to start at verse 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And he's speaking of the temple that's there right? You think. And in three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So, what we see here is that the temple is a permanent replacement for the tabernacle. And here you have Jesus. <clears throat> he's saying this thing. of like, He's speaking of his body. Now, I'm not going to hang everything on this, but Jesus deliberately compares the temple to his body. And that makes me wonder. He even said this temple when he was speaking of his body. He said this temple. All right. When he is standing at the temple, but he's actually speaking of his body. That just makes me wonder. They are asking about the temple and he answers referring to his body as the temple. That's interesting to me. Um, could I possibly get someone to read John chapter one, verse 14? John 1, 14, please. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. The glory as only the son of the father, full of grace and truth. Thank you. So dwell in Greek, you see that these, Jesus is saying that, uh, as we see here, is that the glory of God dwelt among us, speaking of Jesus. And what we see here, dwell in Greek, is a skahoya, I think it's pronounced like that, I may be pronouncing it wrong, but it is literally, the word dwell is skahoya, uh, and it means to live or camp in a tent. It's a tabernacle. In the New Testament, this word is only used by John. It is not used uh, by anyone else. Even uh, some translations say the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. All right? Some translations will say that. All right? John uses the same term in Revelation 21.3 because the same person wrote it. 
All right, Revelation 21.3. <clears throat> Can I get someone to read Revelation 21.3? Sorry. I have the NLT. Uh-oh. That's okay. <laughs> I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Hmm. Perfect. Yeah, what we see here in Revelation 23 is, you know, God is with us. John 1.14, God is with us. And they look and they seen his glory. All right. That's at least what my translation says. <laughs> right. Right. And that's perfect. That's what we're looking for. All right. Exodus 40 at the end, after the tabernacle is fully uh, built, right? Exodus 40, uh, 33 through 34 says this. And he raised up the count all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting, and the glory of God, of the Lord, filled the tabernacle. They saw, in some sense, the glory of God, just as John writes of seeing the glory of God. All right? This is just a literary connection. Hebrews points to how the sacrifices of the temple all point to Christ and how the high priest was all about Christ. All right. Hebrews goes with the function of the temple, if you will. Um, The feast points to the Christ, the purpose of the tabernacle, its overarching purpose, if you will. Exodus 25 verse eight. And actually this is in the ESV. It says this, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God is with his people. He couldn't just be with them without any separation at this point because he would have destroyed them by his glory, right? He had to deal with their sin problem to begin with. It required sacrifices at the tabernacle because of their sins. Exodus 29:45 says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. God is with them. Now, let's jump to Matthew 1:23. Okay. All right. Matthew one twenty three says this. All right. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Okay. And this is important is that we see this dwelling. God is with us. What was the tabernacle? God was with us in the tabernacle. All right. And this is interesting to, to me to see. God is with his people. Now, in the same way he had to have this separation. Uh, in Matthew one twenty three, we see that God is finally with us. Why did Jesus come? Of course, to die for our sins, but also that God could be with us. All right. All the sacrifices was really about God being with us. And now we see Jesus being the sacrifice so that we could be with God. He is restoring the relationship between man and God even more than the tabernacle since that was a very limited capacity of being with. All right, we see this is a fulfillment of that. And what we see is the fulfillment is always better than the type. The thing is always better than the shadow of said thing. All right, so let's go into the inside of the Holy of Holies for a minute. And I hope I've made sense so far. (laughs) Okay, inside the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. That was basically in two pieces. Um, 
there was the lower part, which was the container portion down below. There was the golden lid uh, called the mercy seat, and it had gold rings to put poles through in order to carry it. I oftentimes think of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I think of Indiana Jones, okay, and, and that picture of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, but there was this golden lid, and they had these gold rings to put poles through in order to carry it. All this was meant to be so easily portable. I love it. The container was about two feet high and three feet wide and two feet deep, made out of acacia wood. And we'll come back to that. It's very important it's made out of acacia wood. All right. And covered in gold. Now, I don't know if it was just gold plated or gold inlaid. I'm not quite sure what this type of covering of gold is. If it was solid gold, my guess is that it was some sort of in. Yeah, it was some right or inlay. Of, I don't know if that's the correct term. But um, but anyway, it was covered in gold. Acacia wood grows in the Nagal Desert, which lines up because that is where Jews wandered. All right. If we follow the maps, this is where they were. They were in the Nagal Desert. The acacia wood is there. And we'll come back to the acacia wood. It's very interesting. Interesting enough, the desert does not have many thorny trees. All right. And the only thorny tree out in this region of the Nagal Desert is from the acacia. Okay. It is likely, this is again just speculation. This is the conjecture I was speaking of earlier. But it is very likely this is what they used for the crown of thorns since it was local to the area. Okay. Thorns, we know, are a sign of the curse. All right. That falls upon Adam and Eve. Uh, we see this in Genesis 3, 17 uh, through 18. Uh, well, I'll just read it here. Uh, Genesis 3, 17 through 18 says this. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field and as a symbolism of this, one could say that Jesus was wearing the crown of thorns. He is wearing the curse, if you will. Okay. And the ark is made out of the same material, ark of the covenant, I mean. All the wood, what's that? Right, it's covered. All the wood in the tabernacle was made out of this material. One could also draw their attention onto the fact that the ark is covered in gold, including the inside, at the very least showing us the innumerable wealth of God Almighty, um, if you just want to get into the symbolism of things. Three things were inside the container itself, inside the ark of the covenant. Uh, there was the tablet showing the Ten Commandments. They were broken into two pieces. All right, we'll just consider them one item. The two tablets of the uh, stone showing the Ten Commandments. Remember Jesus saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. Okay. Matthew 5, 17 says this. The, uh, actually, can I get someone to read five, uh, Matthew 5, 17? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to, to abolish, but to fulfill. Thank you. All right. The Israelites stand there in the middle <clears throat> of, of this... Uh, of this revel, if you will, and, and they're completely, they're not able to fulfill the law to its perfection, all right? But Jesus does, all right? The Israelites in the middle of Israel, they cannot fulfill the law to its perfection, but Jesus does. The Ten Commandments represent God's righteous standards, right? Jesus fulfills those standards, all right? He walks perfectly. He's without sin, the second thing inside the Ten Commandments is the jar, which is the manna from heaven. 
Okay, so they put a manna from they put the manna from heaven in a jar. Let's dig deeper into this for a minute. Um, let's look at John chapter six verses thirty-two for thirty-three. John six thirty-two through thirty-three. All right, John 6, uh, 32 through 33, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. I think this is interesting. So we see that the, this manna, right, representing uh, the food that God sustained Israel with, we see Jesus is the true bread from heaven. We see that he is the true manna, if you will. Um, but, <laughs> but the real or true bread from heaven was Jesus all along. So Jesus gives us this type, and <clears throat> there's no speculation on this. This is from the mouth of God. If we read uh, from John six forty nine through 51. Yeah, if you don't mind. <laughs> Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. That one may eat it. I'm sorry, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread which I, will, I shall give, you, give for the life of the world is my so what we see here, this is no speculation. He is directly comparing himself to the manna. He's saying, I am that true man. I am the true bread of life. If you eat of this, you will not die. And this is, this is amazing to me because he's dealing with the thing that gives us death. He's dealing with sin as he's, as he's there and he goes to the cross. <clears throat> he deals with that problem that we have and that, that, separation that we have from God. What is the tabernacle, if not a dwelling place, but also a separation? He's there amongst us, but we can't really be with him. We can't be like we were when Adam, it says Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. We're not there at that point yet, all right? But he deals with the thing that gives us death and offers up himself so that we may have life. The third thing, and this to me, this is, this is probably my favorite, is Aaron's rod. Now, to be specific, it was Aaron's rod that budded, okay? And the rod is <laughs> is a beautiful picture. Um, it would have been carried around with Aaron. It represents authority. Um, let me just briefly explain the event. Number 17, uh, the leaders of Israel, they gather against Aaron and Moses, uh, basically bashing, saying, you know, we can do... Uh, what you do, rebelling against them. Uh, number 17, 5, uh, let me read this. Number 17, 7 through 8, I mean. Let me, let me get there. I need to get a little stand. <laughs> and it's funny, we tend to overlook the book of Numbers. But it's got something very interesting there. I may get someone to read this because it's going to be hard for me to... Keep turning. Okay, if you don't mind, uh, we'll just start with number 17.5. 17.5. Okay. 
Yes, ma'am. Uh, just that verse. Thank you. And can I get uh, someone else, or if you want to read more, Numbers 17, 7 through 8. Uh, sure. Uh, Moses placed the staff before the Lord uh, in the tent of the testimony. The next day Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, representing the house of Levi, had sprouted, formed buds, blossomed, and produced almonds. Right. You see this, this dead wood. This dead rod, it's producing something. So you see, God sorts this out. The dead wood uh, will sprout, which goes against our logic. Essentially, you see this wood, if you will, that's coming back to life. All right? It's coming back to life again. They are just rods of dead wood. God chooses Aaron's staff in the tent of the testimony, all right, which some would call the tabernacle. It's a tabernacle prototype, I should say. Aaron's staff, his dead staff, produced buds and blossoms and ripe almonds. The rod that uh, budded. Here we see what was a living tree that was killed then placed before God sprouts to life out of death. All right? Life out of death, showing you who God chooses. Why was his rod chosen? Let's keep reading in Numbers 18.1 says this, So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity. Now, I can't think of anything that Jesus did if it's not bearing iniquity. And this is all connecting back to Hebrews, who's calling Jesus the high priest. is the true high priest. All right, and who was the only... Uh, we see that there's different priests that were allowed inside the tabernacle, but who was actually allowed into the Holy of Holies, into tabernacle proper? Yeah, the Aaronic priest, the bearers of iniquity. Okay, so we see this is very interesting. It's all connected with priesthood. Another thing that I thought was interesting is how this rod, it was not connected to a life source at any time. It wasn't like it was planted in the ground and had roots and needed, you know, it didn't have any of that. Same thing when Jesus is laid in the tomb. There is, from all outsiders' perspective, there is no hope, you know. But it was the only thing that could bring him back to life in that moment. God. Okay. So we see here is that... There was an inferior priesthood, all right? God, and even, I'm comparing, I'm saying the Aaronic priesthood was the inferior one. Jesus is the proper one. He's the true one, all right? God chose Jesus, his son, to bear iniquity for our sins. If you don't believe me yet, I, I just ask you to read Acts 17, uh, 31. It says this, uh, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Acts is saying the same thing about Jesus as it did about Aaron. Okay? It's saying that God's saying, I'm going to prove to you who I've chosen because I'm going to bring life out of it. It's the same exact rule of thumb. That's how he proved to the Israelites. It's the same thing. And how does Jesus portrayed here? We see him coming back from the dead. 
It says, I'm just going to, he's saying, I have chosen Jesus because I have raised him from the dead. Here's the gist. You have the Ark of the Covenant representing God's holiness that Jesus actually fulfilled. The manna representing him, his life, or offering himself unto death. And Aaron's rod that budded to represent his life and resurrection. And God's affirmation that he is the one to save us. That's what we see here. Exactly. Yeah. And I, Jill, would you mind passing this around? This is just a, it's my little <laughs> printout of the Ark of the Covenant. But it lets you see some of the items that are within. And how each item represents Jesus. And how the tabernacle itself represents Jesus. And again, I know it's just speculation, but I think we can draw pretty strong conclusions that this, at the very least, is a representation. So, I mean, you know, of the, I often wondered because uh, the, the tabernacle, when God wanted it built a certain way, everything is precious right. and worthy, and it's gold and it's sapphires and right. diamonds, and yeah. just like Jesus, perfection. Right. Yeah. So but, here's a buddy question, Matt. Oh boy. How they know what the angels look like the top, the the seraphim, how they know what they look like. The cherubim. How they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I gotta think on that one. <laughs> I don't wanna answer wrong. <laughs> it's no. interesting that the Ark of the Covenant has been lost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. That's that's kinda what I'm saying along Right. Well, I think it's interesting, like reading about the Temple of the Testimony, like even that, or Temple of the Testimonies, I think. But that's essentially a prototype to the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. That's a tabernacle before the tabernacle was tabernacling. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. It was NLT. Yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could... Your body's like a tabernacle. Right. Because he resides there. Yeah. And I think it's interesting we see that there's no longer a need for that uh, that separation, if you will. I mean, what what separated the Holy of Holies from the rest was the veil, right? And what happened when Jesus mm. died. Right. So the veil's ripped in twain. It was ripped. Yeah. From the top to the bottom. But I hope... that This lesson actually goes further on, but that's probably all i got time for today. Oh yeah, where it is. <laughs> where it is. Yeah. But I hope that I hope the lesson made sense today. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. No problem. Very wonderful, Matt. Thank you. Buddy said he's gonna be listening as soon as I post it. So Okay. I said it can be buddy approved. Yeah. That's right. And say goodbye. Now, goodbye guys. We'll see you around. There we go. God bless.